Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. Father, we pray your blessing upon the, the Word of God tonight. Open our hearts to receive what you have and help us to hear what the Holy Spirit would have to say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, uh, Paul made a declaration we talked about last week when we covered verses, verses 10 and 11, and we closed out last Wednesday night with verse 10 and 11. And, and, and in those verses, Paul made a declaration of his life's desire. This was his aspiration in life, which it should be all of our desires, and our, 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 every one of us should have this same aspiration in life. And he said in verse number 10, if you go up to that, he said, that I may know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That was... Paul's main desire was to know the Lord Jesus in a more intimate way. And every single day of his life, Paul pursued that ever-deepening personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, who he had already known for some 30 years. I mean, Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, had already, it had been 30 years or so since he was arrested and apprehended by Jesus on the Damascus Road. And he has went through a lot and he has, has drawn so close, grown so close to the Lord in that 30-year period, but still yet, Paul had still had a desire to know more intimately the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that should tell all of us something tonight that no matter how many years you've known Jesus, you still can know him more and more and more every day. And you need to know him more and more and more every day. Amen? That's what Paul did. He was in a constant pursuit of conforming to Christ's death. He was in a constant pursuit of experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection in his life. In other words, dying to the world, being crucified to the world, to sin, and being resurrected and living by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is how every one of us need to be living today by the power of Christ in us. The same spirit. We mentioned this, I think, last Wednesday night. But the same Spirit, the Bible says in Romans 8 and 11, that raised Christ from the dead, which is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, dwells in us. There it is. And uh, if, if, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
Then notice what it says. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So that's how we live for Jesus. That's what Paul's desire was and his, his, his pursuit was to be conformed to Christ's death, to be raised in the power of his, his resurrection and live by the power of the resurrected Christ. And so Paul has got a passion here. We see it in these verses that he has a passion and he has a spiritual longing for the Lord Jesus Christ. My, that's my passion prayer for this congregation and for this church when I pray for y'all. Amen. I pray that everyone will have that desire for Christ, that greater longing for the things of God. Amen. And we need to get into, we need to be that way. We just need that in our lives. God do it tonight in our lives. And see, so in this text, here in this passage, we see and meet Paul the athlete. And we've talked about this before, how that Paul was, uh, I believe, a sports fan because he used sports analogies a lot in his writings. He talked about wrestling and he talked about boxing and he talked about running and all of these different things. And so I believe that he was a sports fan. So here we, we look at Paul's life as a spiritual athlete with a spiritual vigor and a desire who is running a race and pressing toward the finish line and every single one of us all of us here tonight I believe need to learn something from what we see here in this passage that we should desire to be Christians that are winners amen winning Christians winning this race for the Lord Jesus Christ that we are in this Christian race and for fulfilling the purposes that God has for our lives. How many would agree with that tonight? Praise God. We're in a race. I think we have established that before in other sermons, and Paul is bringing that analogy here to us tonight in this passage that we are in a race as Christians, and uh, I've said this before, it's not a 100-yard dash, but it's a cross country. It's a long run. It's, amen, we, we're, we're not just going to finish it uh, in just a, 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 a day or two. It's a lifetime race that we're in for the Lord. Jesus Christ. So we got to keep on keeping on. Can I get an amen? So in verse number 12, notice this, verse 12 and 13, Paul makes this statement. He said, not as though I had already attained. Now last week we talked about Paul giving his pedigree of, you know, of, of, of all the things that, that he was in the natural. And he, he was saying to the Judaizers or to this church concerning those Judaizers, Judaizers, you know, if, if you could be saved by being good, here's what Paul, I'll just recap this a little. He was saying, if you could be saved by being good or by being religious, then he had said, he basically was saying that I had it made. Because he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I, I was doing all the sacrifices of the law. I was blameless as concerning all that. But yet he did not know the 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He was doing all the religious activities, but he wasn't saved. He was religious. Paul was religious, but he was lost. And so that ought to tell us something about religion, and that is that no matter how much religion you got, if you ain't got Jesus, you ain't going to heaven. Come on, somebody. Amen? That's just the way that it is. Amen. So Paul lays out his pedigree, and and he told all these things that he was. But then in verse 12, he said, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And then in the first part of verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Now, I want you to notice something about this. And that is that, you know, I don't believe that there was any man that was as successful in living for God and in living the Christian life as was the Apostle Paul. I believe he was an example of what a true Christian should be and a true Christian life should be. I believe that he is the most spectacular Christian that has ever lived. And, uh, you know, of course, Jesus was the, the only perfect man. Isn't that right? He was the God man. But as far as humanity and as Christians go, I believe Paul would have to be there at the top of the list. He lived a, a great Christian life. He was a great example of Christianity. But yet, notice that even as as good of a Christian and believer that he was, he admits here in this passage that he has not reached the full spirituality that he can reach, that he needs to reach, and that he still has some growing to do in his walk with the Lord and in his maturity with God. Now that's saying something right there, ladies and gentlemen. That's saying something. I mean the Apostle Paul, he's lived for God for 30 years. He's done. He's just lived a, a great Christian life, but then by his own admission, he says I am not perfect myself. Amen? None of us can make that claim tonight. That we're sin, that we've reached a place of sinless perfection. One day we will, but I, we're not there tonight yet. Amen. I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise your hand. <laughs> but Paul said here that he had not yet reached that full place of, of spirituality. He still has room to grow. He still has, you know, he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 about till we come to that, reach that place of that perfect man, till we come into the, to the fullness of the statue, stature of Christ. And we're, we're not there yet, but we will be when the trumpet sounds. Thank God for that. But now Paul's not saying here that he's backslid. He's not saying here that's, that, he's, that he's being controlled or dominated by, by sin or that he's just openly living in sin. He's not saying that all, at all, but what he is saying is that he's still growing and that he has not yet arrived. Amen. He's on the way, but he has not yet arrived. I hadn't arrived yet, but I have left. 
Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And so I believe we can say Paul was satisfied with Christ, but he was not satisfied where he was spiritually. So there was a, a there was a, a spiritual dissatisfaction, which is something that every one of us need tonight is a spiritual dissatisfaction with where we are spiritually because when we get satisfied with where we are, we'll cease to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't ever want to stop growing, amen? Never want to stop growing and maturing in the things of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So a sanctified dissatisfaction is actually the first essential to progress in the Christian race and in living for God. And we must have that sense of a need to grow spiritually. When we feel that we have arrived, when we get to that place, if we ever get to that place where we feel like that we have arrived, then we get spiritually stagnant. And there's a lot of spiritually stagnated Christians tonight. And I don't want to be one of them. Can you say amen? Do you want to be a spiritually stagnant Christian? Huh? That, you know, old stagnant water that's, well, you know how that old stagnant stuff is. It, it stinks. Well, stagnant Christianity stinks. Come on. Amen. But there are, there are many saints tonight that are satisfied with where they are in their spiritual growth and in their uh, walk with the Lord. They're, they're, they're self-satisfied and they're in a place where they have absolutely no intention of improving in any area of spirituality. And that's a dangerous place to be. If we get into that place where we're stagnant in, the walk, in our walk with the Lord and we're satisfied with where we're at in the Lord and we don't have any intention of getting any better or doing any better or getting any closer to the Lord. That's a dangerous place for us to be because, listen, the gospel does not leave any room for that bland, middle-of-the-road experience that's neither hot nor cold but lukewarm. And so when we get in that place where we are satisfied where we're at and we're no longer growing, that's what Jesus talked about in that to that Laodicean church isn't it he said you know you're you're not hot or you're not cold but you're lukewarm and he said because you're lukewarm he said I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm and because you're lukewarm I'm gonna spew you out the the actual word is to vomit in other words Jesus said that lukewarm Christian experience makes me sick I preached a message on that one time on that Laodicean church, the church that made Jesus sick. We don't want to be that church. Amen. We don't want that kind of experience. Amen. So, you know, there's no, there's no neutral ground tonight, saints. There's no neutral ground. We're either gaining ground or growing in the Lord or we're going backwards, you know. There's no fence. Somebody said, well, I'm, you know, I'm just straddling the fence. There, Brother Shambach, you say all the time, there ain't no fence. Amen. There's no fence to straddle. You're either, you're either getting closer to the Lord and growing in the Lord or you're regressing in the Lord. And the big 
problem that I see within the church today. And I pray all the time, let that, don't let that be. Don't let this be a part, a, a problem in abundant life. But the problem among many Christians today is the sin of apathy and complacency and self-satisfaction where we, where we think we're just okay and we don't need any more of Jesus and we don't need any more of the Holy Spirit and we don't need, we don't really, we're so, we're so super spiritual, we don't even need to come to the altar and pray anymore. We don't need that at all. There was a time when we did, but we just don't need that anymore. I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but nevertheless, we can't allow ourselves to get in that place. Let me tell you, I believe that every service when there is an altar call given, that if we're, if we're in that place that we need to be with the Lord and desiring more of Him, hallelujah, realizing as Paul did that we've not apprehended yet, we've not been perfected yet, there's more that we need from Jesus. Every service we ought to be in that altar, not getting saved again, not necessarily, you know, saying, well, I'm a big sinner, i got to repent again. If you've sinned, you need to repent. But just drawing closer to Jesus and allowing him to work in your life and mold you and conform you and make you more like him and perfect you in, in his image and his likeness. Can I get an amen? Is that your desire tonight? Give the Lord a praise. That should be our desire. See, the Bible warns us, ladies and gentlemen, against a false estimate of our spiritual condition. And there's a lot of people that have a wrong evaluation of their spiritual life. We need to, how many believe we need to evaluate ourselves? Examine ourselves, the Bible says. Isn't that what the Bible says? He, he told the Corinthians, Paul did, said examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. So there needs to be a, an, an examination. Let, let Dr. Jesus give you a good exam man, and check you out real good. And if there's something wrong, let him fix it, praise God. But, but that's the thing, you know, uh, we get a false evaluation. The Bible warns against having a, getting a false, having a false estimate of our walk with the Lord. But you think about that. The church... When you read those churches over there in the book of Revelation, the first or the second and the third chapters, and the Lord found good points and bad points in them. There was only two of those seven churches that he didn't find anything bad or rebuke them for anything. And, uh, but five out of those seven, he found stuff wrong with them. I believe it's still that way today. Amen. It's quiet here this, this evening. But I believe it's still that way today that, that Jesus can find something that needs to be straightened out in every church. Whoa, hallelujah. While we're on this, there is no perfect church. Just like there is no perfect saints and no perfect Christian, there's no perfect church. And there's people going from church to church and church to church trying to find the perfect one. And when you find it, don't go because then it wouldn't be perfect anymore. <laughs> Glory to God. 
<laughs> but that church at Sardis, when he, when Jesus was examining those churches, the church at Sardis, you remember what he said to that church. He told them that they had a name. He said, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. They had a false estimation about their own spirituality. They claimed to be alive. They said, we are alive, but Jesus said, really, you're dead. Amen. One first time I ever read that, I said, that sounds like the Pentecostal bunch. Amen. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of us Pentecostals. We got the name. When you know, you mentioned Pentecostal, we're alive. We're Holy Ghost filled. We're, oh, we've got it all. Praise God. But Jesus said, you've got the reputation, but you don't have the reality. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. I don't want just the reputation of being alive I want to have life I want to be alive amen we've got to evaluate ourselves. that church at Laodicea they evaluated their self they said oh look at us we are rich we are increased with goods we have need of nothing we've got it all we've got big buildings and, and big bank accounts and we've got it all. That was their estimation of their self, their evaluation of their self. They said, we don't need anything else. But when Jesus evaluated them, he said, you don't know it, but you're poor. They were rich financially, but poor spiritually. You're miserable. You're wretched. You're blind. You're naked. I don't want Abundant Life Family Church to be in that category. Amen. But then right on the other hand there was the church was it the church at Smyrna the church at Smyrna they were a poor church they didn't have anything financially but Jesus estimate of them was you're poor but then it said but you are rich thank God that our bank account doesn't make us rich but whether we but what we have in Christ and in the riches of his grace and of his glory hallelujah that we can be rich and wealthy even if we don't have a dollar in our billfold. Come on somebody. Hallelujah. We need to evaluate our lives and evaluate them the way that they should be. And We need to see ourselves and let Jesus show us ourselves the way he sees us so we can correct what needs to be corrected in our life. Amen. Old Samson thought he had it. You know, he had flirted around with Delilah. And, and you know, she said, oh, come on, Sammy, baby. <laughs> come on, tell me. Tell me, where's your strength lie? Where's your power come from? And, oh, you know, he told her this. And, and he, was, he was just... You know, wasn't telling her the truth. He all if you'll if you'll bind me with some new ropes, if you'll do weave the seven locks of my hair, and all of this, and every time, you know, he had told her the wrong thing, and she'd say, "Samson, the Philistines are upon you," and he'd jump up, and the power of God would be on him, and he'd go out, and you know, he'd break those ropes, and you know, you know the story. Amen. I, I still every time I read that, I can't figure Samson out. Three times she's lied to him and all this, and he still finally, finally, she coaxed him into telling the, tr telling the secret of his power. 
And he told her, you know, well, you know, if you shave the, the, my head, I'll just be like any other man. And she caused him to go to sleep, brought a barber in. He got a haircut in the barber's, devil's barber shop. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and she cried out, you know, and said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And, and what he said there in, in Judges 16, 20, Samson said, I'll jump up, I'll get up, and I'll go out just like every other time. And I'll shake myself, and I'll defeat these Philistines. But the Bible said that he did not know. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Oh, that's scary right there, saints. I mean, you know what? He, he had lost. He had flirted with the world so much that he had got in that place where he had lost the power of God and didn't know it. I'm talking about having a right evaluation of our walk with the Lord and of our church. Amen. Hallelujah. There's a lot of churches tonight. I, I believe that Samson is a picture of much of the church world today that has become so much the church has become so much like the world that the spirit of God is gone and they've got the lights and they've got the money and they've got the crowds but they don't have the spirit and the power of God is gone and they don't even know it come on we can't get a, allow ourselves to get in that place of spiritual stagnation and satisfaction we've got to have a holy sanctified dissatisfaction that we need to know that we've got to be closer to Jesus now than we ever have before in these last days. It's not a time, ladies and gentlemen, to get farther away from the Lord. This last day is time to get closer to God and apprehend the Lord in greater measure than we ever have before. Amen. Hallelujah. Paul Still, after 30 years, he still had to keep pressing forward to lay hold of that for which Christ had laid hold of him. He said in verse number 12, the last part of verse number 12, he said, I, but I press on. I press on. I love that. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What's he talking about there? When he's talking about Christ laying hold of him, Paul is speaking of his of his conversion. He's speaking of, 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 of what happened, that experience that he had with the Lord on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9 when the Lord apprehended him and the Lord laid hold of him on that Damascus Road. Amen. Oh, I love reading that ninth chapter of Acts. It was, it was when the mighty hand of God, you know, Saul, he's, oh, Saul, he's breathing out those threatenings and, and he's on his his way to Damascus with the letters from the high priest to go there and arrest Christians, to haul them back and put them in prison. He's the persecutor of the church. He had even said in verse 6 of that third chapter of Philippians, he had even said that before he got saved with zeal, he said, my zeal, concerning zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And he did it with everything that he had. Amen. He's on that Damascus road, but praise God, they must have been a bunch of people praying for Paul. 
I don't know how the church was praying for Saul of Tarshish if they was praying for God to save him or kill him. But I can tell you one thing. God apprehended him. The Lord Jesus reached his mighty hand down and got a hold of him on that Damascus road. Knocked him down off of his horse. Knocked him to the ground and got and shook him real good and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, hallelujah. He was apprehended that day by the Lord Jesus Christ on that Damascus road. Amen. And I'm telling you something today. I'm glad that I can say I remember the day that I was apprehended by Jesus. I can remember the day where the high sheriff of heaven came and visited me and arrested me that day and brought me to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. What does it mean to be apprehended? Apprehended means to arrest a criminal. To arrest when you arrest a criminal you've apprehended them. You've got a hold of them. You've put them in your power. And I'm telling you that's what Jesus did to me. How many are glad you've been apprehended by the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, hey man, he could have let me go. I, I was praying the other day and thanking the Lord. I said, Lord, thank you so much that you didn't leave me like I was. But you apprehend, you arrested me. I got some friends and family tonight needs to be apprehended by Jesus. I'm sure every one of us do. Amen. Jesus seized him and apprehended Paul. Apprehended him to make of him a great apostle to the Gentiles and to the church. Now I'm going to tell you something, saints. Jesus Christ is seized and apprehended you. And me for a purpose tonight. I, I talked a little bit about it, you know, Sunday morning. Talking about the will of God and praying the will of God. That Jesus prayed it in Gethsemane. And we need to pray it. But the will of God for your life is a good, it's something good. God's got a good plan for you. And when he saved you, he saved you and he saved me for a purpose. Amen? He saved us for a purpose. He seized and apprehended you for a purpose. And that purpose is, there's a, several different things, but mainly for that covers something that covers all of us. He seized us and apprehended us to be conformed into the image of his son, of him, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells about that. That's what we've been predestined for. Amen? Predestination doesn't mean that Jesus, you know, like the Calvinists teach, that Jesus, um, that God has from the beginning of time predestined some to be saved and some to be lost, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's not what predestination is. But he has predestined us, the Bible says in Romans 8, to be conformed into the image of his Son. Come on, somebody. And I want to apprehend 
from the Lord that which he has apprehended me for and lay hold on Jesus and be all I can be for Jesus. And I believe I'm looking at a group of people here tonight that want the very same thing for your life. Do you do you want that? Amen. To take a hold of Christ. Amen. As he has taken a hold of you, this is the only way to live, church. No fading, no giving up. Praise God. Hallelujah. No fainting hearts permitted. Being all in for the Lord Jesus Christ and wanting more of him every single day of my life. Praise God. A person that will live that way, what Paul is saying here, I'm not perfect, but I want to apprehend that from Christ that he has apprehended me for. A person that will live that way, a Christian that will live that way with a holy dissatisfaction and always wanting more of Jesus and seeking more of Jesus will never, listen to me, will never backslide. People backslide when they get complacent. Well, praise the Lord. That doesn't apply to y'all tonight. Amen. But we see it as pastors all the time. When people used to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival nights, prayer meetings, whatever. And then they start missing. Let's move on. I'm about done. I'm not about done, but I'm about to quit, all right? Not any worse near being done. You all know that. Praise the Lord. I get, I, I've got the invitation to speak at uh, Sister Katie's pinning ceremony, nurse pinning ceremony. And they've given me two minutes. <laughs> so y'all going to have to pray for me. <laughs> oh, praise God. Amen. But Paul said, I press on. I press on. I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Verse 13. And I'm going to touch on this and then we'll, we'll save the rest till next week of these, of these verses. But verse 13, this latter part. He says, but one thing. I love this. But one thing I do. He said, I've not apprehended yet. I've not attained all that I need to attain. I've not grown to where I need to grow spiritually yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because if we get a hold of this right here, folks, and live by that right there, they ain't no stopping you. 
You're going to live in victory if you. This was this was a key right here. This was a secret right here of Paul's Christianity and how he lived for the Lord. He said, I, I, I'm pressing toward the goal, verse 14, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But he said, here's how I'm doing it. One thing I do, one thing I do. That, 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 those two words, one thing, one thing. You think about that. It's an important phrase in the life of the Christian. It's an important phrase to be focused on one thing. Amen? It's not too hard for me to do because I've told you before I'm not a good multitasker. I got to be focused. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm studying for a message, preparing a message, I can't allow myself to get sidetracked because if I do, I'm in trouble. I'm not a good multitasker. But this is a principle that Paul is saying that led him to the victory is that he he, there was one thing that he focused on. And that one thing is used several times in the Bible. And you can just jot these verses down and read them when you get home. But, but Jesus told the rich young ruler, if you'll remember, when he, he boasted about how that he had kept all the commandments from his youth and what a good moral man that he was. You remember that? And Jesus, remember what Jesus said to him? He said, but one thing you lack you know, that ought to tell us something, how, 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 how good of a moral life a person can live and still lack the one thing. You know what the one thing is? The one thing is being born again. Amen. That's the only thing that matters is being born again. It's not what church you belong to. It's not, uh, you know, any of that, but it's knowing Jesus Christ. And then you remember in Luke chapter, that was in Mark 10, 21, but in Luke chapter 10 and verse 42, Jesus was at the house of Mary and Martha, and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach, and Martha was in there in a big, in a big stir, you know, trying to fix dinner, and she was trying to get everything ready, and, and Martha was troubled about a lot of stuff, and she was, oh, she was just in a tiz, and she got mad because Mary was sitting in there and wouldn't help her, and she got, she, she said, won't, she told the Lord, said, aren't you going to tell her to, why don't you tell her to help me to get this dinner ready and Jesus said Martha Martha he said you are you are worried and cumbered and troubled about all this but he said listen he said one thing is needful hallelujah and that's what Mary has chosen in other words one thing is needed just to just to sit at the feet of Jesus and cast your cares upon him and feed upon his word come on somebody amen and then Jesus healed Jesus healed a blind man uh, there one day by spitting on the ground boy boy he spit and he took his spit and he made some mud balls out of it and he put mud Mud balls on that guy's eyes, you know, and uh, I'm surprised somebody hadn't started the mud ball anointing ministry, amen, but he put some mud balls on that guy's eyes, and this guy had been blind from birth, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and they took him down there, and he went, and he washed the mud out of his eyes, and he came back, and he could see, and it just so happens it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus did this, and so all the Pharisees got mad 
had, you know, and they were questioning this guy about how, how did you get your sight? How, who opened your eyes? And don't you know he's a sinner? Don't you know that he's, you know, he, he, he's not of God or he wouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath day? And I, you know, I love this. That blind man said to them that was now seeing, he said, I can tell you one thing. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but one thing, one thing, one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I know one thing. One day I was blind. One day I was lost. But one thing I can tell you today, I'm not the same man that I used to be. I can see the blind has received his sight. Give the Lord a praise tonight. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I've done quit teaching and went to preaching. Treaching. Amen. Paul uses the metaphor of a foot race. And I've got to close. It's the picture here. We'll pick this up here next week. But it's a picture of a foot race. And it's a picture of total and absolute, complete focus on winning the race. It's the intensity he's showing here of that runner. That I'm not worried about who's running beside me or what's behind me. We'll talk about that next week. Or what's going on around me, but I'm focused on one thing, on one thing, on one thing. I'm focused on that finish line. I'm focused on I'm focused on making heaven. Amen. I want everybody to go with me. Amen. I want everybody in this church to go with me. But you know what? If you decide not to, I got to keep focused on that finish line. I've got to cross that finish line. Amen. And that's the one thing that Paul said that he did. He said, I am focused. I am intent. Amen. I'm running in this race and one thing that I'm focused on and that is winning this race. I'm forgetting the things that are behind. I'm reaching out to what's ahead. I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm not going to let anything stop me. Now I'm not going to let any devil get in my way. I'm going to make it to the other side. But in order to do that, I've got to forget everybody's, what everybody may be saying about me, what everybody may be doing about me, the lies they may be telling on me. I've got to focus on him. I've got to focus on the, the, the finish line that is ahead if I'm going to make it to the other side. It's a focusing on Jesus. We'll talk about that next week. You need, I need, we all need to forget some stuff. Amen? There's some Christians still living in the past, bringing up stuff happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 5 years ago, last year. Forget it! Get your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Worship team, come on back. Praise God. I don't know about anybody else, 
I preached myself happy tonight. Amen. I feel the Lord here tonight. Feel good. We're going to worship the Lord. Let's stand, if you would. Oh, hallelujah. How many of y'all would say, Brother Rick, what you said tonight, that's what I want. I, I, I never want to be. I never want to be in a place where I, where I feel like that I've arrived as a Christian. I never want to get there. I want to always have that sanctified dissatisfaction about me where I can say, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. No matter how good of a service we have, I'm always thinking, boy, that was good, but man, could have been a little better. I don't know, you know. The thing about preaching is this. You can, one Sunday, you, you may feel like you've knocked it out of the ballpark. And then the next Sunday, you've struck out. You know, the, the mighty Casey has struck out. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But I never want to get to the place where I'm, where I'm, I feel like I'm, I've arrived. There's always that place we've got to draw closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Because one day we will arrive. Woo! Going to be soon, too. Going to be soon, too. That trumpet's going to sound. And then we'll get that high calling. We're going to get that upward calling, that high calling of Christ. And it's coming soon. Amen. But if you're here tonight and you'd say, and I believe everybody here on this Wednesday night's this way, you'd say, Brother Rick, I want to keep pressing on. I want to keep getting closer to him. I want more of Jesus in my life. Amen. Praise God. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord here in this house. We just ask you, God, that you will stir each one of our hearts tonight with a holy desire to draw closer to you, to stay in the race, to press toward that mark tonight, to be more like Jesus every day of our life. Draw us close to you. Fill us, God, with your spirit, with your power tonight, with a, with a holy resolve and a holy boldness like we've never had before in these last days. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. They're going to sing something. Let's worship the Lord and ask 